Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. This gives me great pleasure um, to take a moment to actually introduce to this group. Um, well, to some I'll be introducing, to others is going to be a familiar face and name because this individual has been a part of our podcast community for quite some time as a participant and also as a contributor um, by way of sharing questions and thoughts and comments. And so it just felt really appropriate for us to have him to take front and center stage and to be directly in conversation today as our guest co-host. So as I normally do, allow me to give his um, formal introduction, then we'll bring him on to be able to share and welcome this audience in his own way. Kwabana says he doesn't just do DEI, he lives it. A native of Milwaukee and a child of an extremely diverse household, he began his lifelong journey as a student of cultures and customs. Combined with his personal mission to help others achieve their goals, he was led to the DEI field initially through thought, talent, acquisition, and now through leading an organizational DEI. Kwabana has a master's degree in cultural foundations of education and multiple leadership and DEI professional certifications. Kwabana is a master facilitator, experienced strategist and advisor. He is also a public speaker on a variety of topics under the broad umbrella of diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging. And so um, vodcast community in your own way, through the chat, through some emojis and whatever way that feels appropriate, help me to welcome my guest co-host today, Kwabana Collins. I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that I can take a moment to spotlight. I'm going to add you as a spotlight, Kwabana, but welcome. Thank you for saying yes to our invite. Um, we're so glad to be in conversation with you today in this capacity. And you know the drill because you've been a part of this community. We, we've read your bio. We understand some of the lens in which you bring to this work in this space of DEI. But we want you to share with us now what do we not know about you just from reading your bio that maybe helps us to get a better understanding of how in which you see the world, how in which you show up to different spaces, maybe intersecting identities, Help us to know Kwabana a little bit better. Welcome. Thank you so much. And good morning, everybody. I appreciate all the love that's being uh, shared in the chats as well. So you, you, in my bio, you talked about the very unique background. And I, I like to just jump into that a little bit more. I found that you know being vulnerable is the best way to have influence in many cases, especially in this space. Um, and so when, we, when I say a, a unique, diverse background, so I joke and say my mother is white, my dad is black, and somehow they had a Puerto Rican kid. Um, because growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood that was black, white, and Puerto Rican. There weren't mm -hmm. a lot of mixed kids. And so mm -hmm. for a while, I used to say, hey, just call me Marco. And, you know, I had the tail to go with it and the little earring. And, you know, because I was growing up in the age when there wasn't a whole lot of mixed kids running around, nearly as many as there are now, um, you know, I. I wasn't black enough to be black and I was mm. clearly wasn't white. And so I just was, you know, my, my best friends growing up were uh, a Korean boy and a Japanese girl. Mm. And, um, but what also goes into that is I grew up going to a black uh, Afrocentric Catholic church. Mm. And so my deacon is from Ghana. Uh, I actually got the name Kwabna from my deacon uh, as I went through a rites of passage 
in a scholarship program when I was in high school, mm-hmm. sponsored by Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And so, um, you know, those are things that ultimately led me to thinking about culture and understanding, you know, that's where I found my space. You know, I think mm-hmm. in this DNI world and space where all trying to find where do we fit into our own skin? How do we fit in our own skin? Where do we fit in society or whichever groups that we interact with on a regular basis? And the goal I would say for DEI is to make sure that whatever you fit everywhere because you can be your truest authentic self anytime and any place, so. Mm, no, absolutely, Pavana. Those are those are words to stand on, and uh, we appreciate you um, reminding us of that. So, as you were sharing your your very um, diverse background, and even all of the experiences that you've had with the relationships you were able to build and be surrounded by, it brought to mind a question. Oftentimes, that I find myself engaged in, and that is around: Is there such thing as really reaching true cultural competency? And I have my thoughts, but I certainly want to hear from you. What do you think about that? Can someone really fully be culturally competent, whatever well, I, that means? <laughs> I think that's a loaded question, Nico. But yeah. uh, <laughs> that being said, I think that it's just like, you know, much of this work in DNA, it's ever evolving. And, yes. you know, cultures change over time. You know, when you think about back, you know, a lot of times you think about the generational differences yeah. You know, even within families, like, oh, we didn't do that stuff back when I was a kid or, you know, I was raised in a house. My father was a Vietnam veteran, Marine. So there was no asking why somebody if he says something, only thing you could ask was, you know, if, if your father says jump, your only question is how high. Mm. Right? And so, um, you know, nowadays there's a lot more room for kids to ask why or even in the professional space, um, you know. When I first was a leader, I was still leading from that military mindset right. of, hey, just follow me. Just do what I said. I got this. Trust me. And we'll make it through. But my employees were not feeling that. They were, you know, different generation. And that's culture, right? There's generational cultures. And they need to, they need to be led with the why, not with the how or the what. And so... To be fully culturally competent, I don't, I think you can be, you can move towards that, but I also think like, it's just like DEI, you know, it's never achieved um, because things are always changing. Right. No, I love that. And and that's precisely why I wanted us to spend some time on that topic, because I, I too am of the persuasion that full cultural competence is not something that can be achieved. It is about always having this growth mindset to want Mm -hmm. to deepen our understanding and our awareness. I mean, let's think about if we think about this entire world, there's so many different cultures that it is almost impossible for someone to be fully competent and have Mm -hmm. full intelligence around all of those different cultural complexities. And so I think it's about um, just doing our part to continue to always be curious and open so yeah. that we can practice cultural humility and we can have a, a certain um, level of cultural intelligence that we're always interested in growing and building upon. So yeah, Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. So part of your part of your platform in this work, Bhavana, is to um, really combine DEI and leadership into all of the strategies. And so mm-hmm. why does it take good leaders to navigate in this DEI space? 
and how do you how do you connect the two and intersect the two leadership and DEI? Yeah, I, I, what I'd like to say is to start off is there's a difference between leadership and management, right? Yes. And so yes. um, one of my good friends who's also in the DEI space here in Milwaukee, um, he likes to say that if you if a leader has no followers, he's just going for a walk. And so leaders have to have influence, they, but they also need to have humility. They need to um, be able to take feedback and actively engage with others at all levels. Um, to be a DEI leader, I think you need to flatten the organization as much as possible. Because when you think about it, I mean, I, just anybody who's on the call in, in the chat, you think about, um, I want you to confirm if you've ever been in this situation where you've wanted to say something, but the culture within that organization was you don't talk to leaders. You tell your direct supervisor and hope that they take it to their supervisor and then they take it to the C-suite executive. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's part of the role of DEI leadership is to flatten that organization to be able to say, hey, you can come straight to me. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, leaders who I've seen that have struggled are those leaders who only stay in that C-suite or in that leadership um, conversations. Because, and there's a, there's a poem called If by Roger Kipling. And there's a part of that poem that talks, um, if you can walk with king, uh, if you can walk with crowds and keep your virtue or talk with kings nor lose the common touch. And so um, it's about making sure that you can, you know, Tra traverse those multiple levels of an organization and still be um, a real person to everybody you interact with. Mm, that's so I think good. that's really the, the key to any leadership, whether it's DEI leadership or not. Um, it, it's, you know, that leadership you have to understand and also understand you don't have to be great at everything. You know, I think really good leadership is recognizing, hey, I'm good at A, a and B, but C through Z, I'm, I'm gonna call Dr. Nika, I'm gonna call Anam, I'm gonna call Courtney, I'm gonna call, you know, Amora, all, all these other people because they have, you know, the perspectives that I need that I don't have. I have 10, I need, some, I need 35 other people to complete my full 360 perspective. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate so much of that. So much to unpack as well. First of all, the quote that you you shared that your friend in Milwaukee, I put that into the chat because it was worth certainly amplifying. If a leader has no followers, then he, she, they are just going for a walk, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I too believe that DEI is leadership. Leadership is DEI. And so you can't really separate the two. I love when organizations, when they're you know planning their their leadership type of experiences, automatically the lens of DEI is layered onto that full experience because they get it. You can't separate the two. It's exactly um, what what you know what it in, instills in us is that this is a way to influence others um, positively. So I really do appreciate that. Um, 
so how should organizations choose leaders um, that are, or at least influencers that are grounded in some type of, of belief and value system around inclusivity and belonging? What are those skill sets or those um, traits and characteristics rather from a talent acquisition perspective, people should be tuned into to be able to know that if we have a very inclusive culture and environment, we want to make sure we can maintain that. So here's kind of what we're looking for is we're vetting talent. What are some of those things? Yeah, again, uh, going back to that concept of humility and vulnerability, um, you know, if leaders, and uh, uh, we should be looking for leaders who seek to pull out of others and seek to promote others as opposed to themselves. Um, there's a, a, an article that we use all the time. Uh, it was by The Muse, and I'll put the link in a little bit later. Um, and it talks about seven ways to be an ally, mm. you know, um, in the workplace specifically. And it's got, you know, seven different ways. The fifth one is one of my favorites because everybody, no matter who you are, can be this type of ally. And it's the scholar ally. You know, mm. it's the person that sometimes you shouldn't be, you definitely as an ally, your role is not to be in front. It's to, you know, listen, understand and help others, you know, get an equi equitable opportunity to share their experiences and their perspective and their ideas. And so that scholar ally and, and you know, with organizations, any or a lot of organizations have these, um, yep, somebody else put it in there for me. Thank you for that. Uh, so a lot of organizations have, you know, business resource groups or employee resource groups. And I always encourage people to join two. You know, one that you have a personal affinity to personally connect, connect with. And one that you know the least about, because the pro the challenge in a lot of this work is people don't even know what they don't know. Right. You know, I, I'm going to call myself out, and and when I shared that quote, and you you did it so gracefully, you know, a leader is somebody uh, a leader without followers is a person who, you know, wait, what you, how did you say you said? If a leader has no followers, he she they are just going for a walk. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and you added that in there and. When it came out of my mouth, I heard it and I said, oh, I should correct that. But I didn't want to, I should have done it, but I appreciate you doing that. But a leader should be able to call themselves out, you know, because mm -hmm. what that does is you want somebody that can potentially put them, lead by that example of, it's yeah. okay to make mistakes. You say, yeah. I'm sorry, and you move on, right? It's not about, hey, you made a mistake. I'm going to beat you over the head for the next six months. No, you made a mistake, you recognize the mistake, we'll just do better. And if we make Absolutely. this mistake again, we'll try again. But being open to that and, and the leader, oftentimes people are, they share how they feel, even though they're not saying it directly, right? Yeah. So that you want in your DNI space is if somebody gives you feedback, it might not be the direct feedback that you're looking for, but a leader that can recognize what they're really saying or what's what's the root cause of this feedback, or can dig deeper when they see that there's more to it that's the type of leader that is going to be successful in this space absolutely 100 percent 100 percent so i want to bring change management into this conversation of dei um, there's definitely a great correlation there um, so i want you just to talk with us about how do you see the two interconnected and what's the value of having a change management mindset when you are really trying to navigate success um, in terms of DEI? 
you know, it's so it's ironic that in two weeks, we're going to have Dr. Shelton Good. He is a mentor of mine. And when I first officially wanted to get into the greater DNI space, I've been in diversity recruitment in spaces and done some stuff in DNI for 10 plus years. But um, when I wanted to really dive into more of the, um, the designated DEI space, I, I reached out to him and uh, he was gracious, gracious enough to share with me that, well, if you want to get in DNI, you need to understand change management because DEI is change management. Mm-hmm. And as I've worked with different companies, um, we've done different. I've done different things, and one of the things we've done is IDI, which mm-hmm. is the Intercultural um, mm-hmm. the Inter- Intercultural Development Index. Yep. And um, by being a, a, a facilitator of that and an assessor of that you really understand and going through that, those profiles with different people and our leadership, you understand this is challenging their life, challenging their, the way they live, the way they were raised, the, their values, their morals. A lot of this is challenging all of what they know to be right and true. Right. And so that type of change is, that's to the core. Mm-hmm. So to be able to understand how to get somebody to move in a way that is counterculture. We talk about culture, right? This is counterculture, counter morals. You're telling me that I've been lied to my whole life, you know, whether purposefully or not, that's that's a hard pill to swallow. And so when we go talk about DNI, it is change management. Absolutely, 100%. And, and people don't like change. And so um, it definitely requires us to be even more willing to lean in to, to all the things, all the strategies, so that we can bring as many people along. Because what's going to resonate with one particular person is not necessarily going to move another. And so I, I too agree. I often start with, let's think about how do we manage this change? And I think part of managing that change is being very communicative. You know, this audience has heard me say several times that resistance is a lack of clarity. So how can, through that change management strategy, we center clarity? And that means really have to build people's awareness and understanding of the why. Um, how does this benefit all of us? Not just a select population of people, right? But all right. of us. And so I, I appreciate you bringing that to the conversation. I'll definitely have to make sure to tell um, Dr. Good that you, oh, yeah. you gave him, you gave oh, him yeah. this credit for putting that as part of your philosophy. So, There's yeah. another thing about uh, with change management. There's a book called Traction. Oh, and, I love Traction. My team is so familiar with it because we love okay. um, EOS. Yeah, the Entrepreneurial yes. Operating System. And yeah. so, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the in, in that book, it talks about, you know, when you're thinking about your teams and when you're thinking about it, this kind of goes back to um, what you were asking earlier. You know, a lot of times, like when we're looking at creating a DEI leadership role and organizations, you know, they may grab the, you know, the person who may have you know, had some conversation DEI stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but sometimes it's all in good intention, but sometimes we don't do what, you know, Traction would talk is that GWC, right? Do they get it? Do they get what we're trying to do, where we're trying to go? Do they want it? And then do they have the capacity, right? Get it, want it, and have the capacity. Yes, this you know, is such familiar language to us. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> you know, I read that when I first started my staffing agency back in 2014, 2015. Um, 
And my one of my mentor coaches actually, you know, his man was younger than me. Uh, it was, you know, we went to the same high school, but you know, he had taken the business route straight out of the gate. And um, he shared with me that book and some other things. And, and that book was eye-opening, you know, especially as you think about you know, organizational change or organizational development. Um, and again, all of that, so what you said earlier, DNI has to be a part of the DNA. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. It has to be fully embedded, part of the fabric. So I, I'm totally, totally aligned with you there. So I want to move and talk about strategy now because, um, you know, passion is one thing, but passion does not necessarily always move the needle to a place where we can sustain um, really good outcomes. And so we have to be very strategic in this discipline, just like other, you know, disciplines. And so I know that you often talk about the five R's in DEI strategy. So I want you to tell us what those, well, really there's four main R's and there was one that you've added. So I want you to give this audience the benefit of understanding what are those R's relevant to how in which, you know, you believe it's important to approach DEI strategy and why did you feel compelled to add that fifth R? Yeah, thank you for that question. So again, I, a lot of this, the stuff that I've learned over time is not original to me. Um, I make tweaks and things like that, but I think it's also important, you know, as an ally to other people to make sure that I give other people their recognition and flowers. Um, so, and I don't even know where I got the four R's from originally. I've, I've done so much research and been on so many calls and videos yeah. and things like that. Um, I think you shared from like, a colleague, but yeah, still, I'm yeah. sure you've had, you've had lots of colleagues. And so, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the four, the four original R's are recruitment, retention, reputation, and representation. Um, and so when you think about recruitment, that's the, the no-brainer, right? That's how do we recruit people? There, there's some intersections between these R's, right? They overlap. It's not just a checkbox, one, two, three, four. It's more of a Venn diagram a four or five circle Venn diagram. And so, um, you know, recruitment is, you know, your recruitment brand, how are you getting your employer brand out, out as a company? So people might know, you know, an organization as a retailer. So they know what you sell, but they don't know what it's like to work there. You know, and sometimes, you know, say like a Nike, you might not care what it's like to work there because you get to work at Nike, right? Mm-hmm. So the consumer brand might be, important enough to, to manage your the employer brand, but other companies who may not have that same strength of a uh, consumer brand, they may need that. Um, and then you've got retention. There's so much that goes into retention, all the different strategies that go into retaining top talent, which in today's market, it is incredibly hard to retain talent because everybody's poaching from everybody else. Yes. Um, <laughs> you yes. know, and as a recruiter in my background in recruitment, I mean, that a lot of times what recruiters do is they look at the person that if I'm looking for a vice president and my company is, say it's a, uh, a techni- technology software organization, I'm going to go to my competitors and see what who they have as a VP and I'm going to call and reach out to them and say, hey, you know, why don't you come on over here? We're better right. than that. You know, and so... There, there's so much poaching, especially in the executive recruitment, mm-hmm. uh, but there's so much more that goes into the retention. Um, inclusion is key. You know, that is a big retention tool is 
Absolutely. If I feel like I belong, if I feel like I can be my truest, authentic self, I don't need to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. If I'm heard, if I'm valued, um, but then you have reputation. Um, that's the, the external brand. You know, when things are going on in society, how are you responding? Um, how are the people who are speaking in, in spaces, how are they coming off as an, a, an inclusive leader? Um, how are they consciously being inclusive when they're in rooms? Uh, and then you've got um, your representation. And again, that's a huge thing where all the research I've done, and I've done quite a bit, uh, I do, used to do some consulting with a marketing firm. And mm-hmm. we did a lot of research. And people want to see people that look like them. Right. So where's the representation within the organization? Is it all at the bottom? Or is there an even spread? Is it representative of the community you're serving? You know, um, but the last one that I recently have added is resources. Because we're all on our own journeys and we're on different planes. You know, some people really don't think that it's necessary. So they're gonna need some, you know, some different resources. We can't take everybody on the same trip. Um, It's almost a choose your own adventure type of scenario. Uh, and so we have to, companies are going to need to build resources. Um, and additionally, you know, we talked about how this is change management and this is challenging people's, you know, mental states. What about having a psychologist or a psychotherapist on site specifically to address some of these challenges that people are going to go through? Mm-hmm. Or what if you weren't accepted by your community growing up and say, I'm a, I'm a Latino and I wasn't accepted as Latino in my community because I, I talk to proper English in private schools. Well, there's some, there could be some different things going on that that person hasn't been able to uh, resolve. Those are other resources that are going to, one, they're going to make you a better company, but two, they're going to make people feel like you're there for them, which means they're going to give more of themselves to the company. They're going to stay longer. They're going to add more. They're going to be, feel free to point out things in the organization because they know that you've invested in them and they're going to invest in you. So, yeah, no, I love how you brought that full circle because there are many organizations that are of the persuasion. Well, that's not my burden to carry. I understand that there are some issues out there that causes someone to be triggered, but you know, we're, we're an employer. Why is that my burden to carry? So you brought that full circle to help answer Mm -hmm. that question. And I, I, I so appreciate that. So just for the purpose of our broadcast community, we're going to be shifting a little bit and I will allow you to present your questions to Kravana. You can do that either by placing your questions into the chat. And if you put it into the chat, you're letting us know that your your preference is to have your question presented on your behalf. Otherwise, we will allow you to raise your hand. We'll call on you, spotlight you, and ask that you um, unmute yourself and share. So I want to take maybe Two more questions um, that I'll present to you, Kwabana, while we give this this audience a chance to think about what they would like to um, to to further their their learning around. Um, so we need to understand about the mental state and and how it has really increased greater appetite for organizations to think more intently about how do we now play a role in helping to address the mental issues that a lot of employers are showing up to the workplace with. Mm -hmm. And specifically, I know one of the things you have a lot of energy around is the mental state of DEI and C-suite leaders of color, knowing that that space is 
very much populated with, with professionals of color, you know, for, for lots of great reasons, right? So yeah. talk to us about, um, talk to us about that. Yeah, so, you know, there are different, you know, what's interesting, and I think we, we could never recognize this enough is the black experience is not monolithic. The Latino experience is not monolithic. You know, people are dynamic and communities are dynamic. And so, for example, I have a brother, same mother, same father. We have very different experiences as black men. Our communities are uh, that we interact with on a regular basis are incredibly different. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the mental space of, you know, C-suite DEI executives, one, we don't, we can't expect them to know all about right, even right. their own community that they identify with. Right. Um, because it's, that's too much to ask of any one person. Um, and all the other executives, I think, well, I would say in my experience and from what I, the conversations I've had, um, well-intended, but sometimes they just don't get it because they haven't had to face these things you know I don't think I would say that and I would argue this that most people are not compelled to make any change until something personally affects them Mm -hmm. you know I'll give an example when I was 16 years old my parents sat me down and my myself and my brother and I have three older sisters and one of them was in the marines and um she was in Okinawa at the time. She reached back out, or, or my parents sat us down and said, hey, your sister's gay. I chuckled, you know, I, because at this time, you know, we would say, you know, and I don't do this anymore. I want to make it very clear. But, you know, in the, in the community, in the social group, if something was foul or something mm-hmm. was not fun or not cool, they would say, oh, that's gay. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. That's gay. Let's go play tennis. No, I'm not doing that. That's gay. And it did. The intent was not necessarily had nothing to do with somebody's, you know, sexual preference. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I found out that I had a gay sister mm. that it I felt compelled to make any changes. Yeah. And so when we think about the mental state of DEI leaders, they're working in a world where many of the people that they are trying to influence at the C-suite level, they haven't had these in any interactions that would compel them to change. Because again, we're talking about making yourself uncomfortable for perceivably no reason. Because if things are good for me, why should I make them less good for me? Why, in the sake of humanity, why, why would I do that, right? If mm-hmm. thinking about we're human, we wanna protect ourselves and our livelihood and we've worked hard to get to where we are. Why would I jeopardize what I have now for no reason. Um, so thank you again. Uh, sexual orientation is not a preference. Um, it's part of everyone's existence. Thank you again. I make mistakes. I, I think um, also I would talk about DEI leaders in the mental state. They'll, those leaders need to be able to make mistakes as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just because they're C-suite doesn't mean that they're gonna be perfect. They should be, they can be perfectly imperfect, but they can't be expected to have everything right. 
Yeah. One of the things I love about this community is that I think the the people that show up um, to this space are, are so deeply um, committed to this work that, you know, there's this huge openness of learning with and from each other, right? And, and providing those opportunities for people to self-reflect. And I know that's something that's really big for you, self-reflection, self-awareness is something that I also speak a lot about. I think it's, um, it's, it's part of our our way of just pausing and helping to connect with what we're hearing, what we're seeing. And through that time of reflection, I think growth can occur if we're open to it. Um, and it's also a huge part of what you've described as being who you are and how you show forth. Mm -hmm. And so talk to us a little bit about um, self-reflection, self-awareness and um, the criticality of that to, um, to the work of DEI. Anybody who's in DEI must be self-reflective. They, they, because if you're not thinking about, if you're so consumed of what you'll forget one, this is stressful work, right? This is, this, uh, Dr. Good again said, this is not the a young person, like a, a young professional's career choice. You know, yeah. some do, but this is challenging work, it's stressful. You have to understand how to manage that stress, expectations, um, you're going against the system in most cases. And so, and we all have our own personal biases based on our own experiences. And yeah. biases is a natural part of who we are. It's, it's our safety mechanism. But we have to be self-reflective enough to understand where our bias is, right? Um, there is, you know, I, my master's degree was in education mm -hmm. and we do, you know, research and there's something called researcher bias. And are you looking at data to confirm what you're already looking for? Are you really researching everything to see if you're right or wrong? Right. And so those are the things that we have to be self-reflective on. How am I impacting others? How am I, how is, are others impacting me? How am I taking care of myself to stay connected and grounded? Um, and you have to be, do a lot of self-reflection in order to um, just keep your own sanity. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> Those are some loaded words, to keep your own sanity. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I placed into the chat that um, compassion fatigue is real, it is. And we see it a lot in this space. And so I think that part of what allows, you know, practitioners in this space to, to be successful and to show up well is because of our passion and empathy for others. But if we aren't also thinking about the need for us to put our oxygen mask on first, then we are going to burn out. We're going to feel the weight of, of being fatigued. And, and I worry that if we aren't thinking along those lines, um, that we could be um, negatively impacting our effectiveness. And so I, I appreciate, again, the the wonderful reminder. You also said, you know, reflecting on right and wrong. And I, and I also think that part of the growth opportunity is when we're in those self-reflective, you know, moments is to think about not only is there a right or a wrong, but how do we hold the middle? How do we found some common ground, right? Because everything is so nuanced around this work. And I think that the reason that so many people um, become offended by conversations of inclusion and diversity is because of how we classify diversity. Sometimes we see it as right, wrong, good or bad, superior, inferior, instead of just seeing it as difference. 
And I think there's some value. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some value to amplifying that. So I'm going to now spotlight Tracy. Um, she has a question, and so I'm going to bring her into the conversation. Tracy, feel free to unmute yourself and share. Thank you and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really enjoying this uh, conversation, Kwabana. Um, So many things resonated with me, but the last point that you made about self-reflection probably resonated the most. Um, how do you avoid being gaslighted? And, and I'll tie that to self-reflection because sometimes in this work, people really make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and like, it doesn't really take a competency framework to do this work. Like, you know, oh, anybody can do this. So how do you manage to maintain your competence and your confidence as you continue to move forward in, in doing the work? Thank you. Tracy, thank you for sharing that question. I, I, you touched on a couple things. Part of this work, it, it, it can test your confidence. It can really test your self-confidence because one, you're pushing against the norm, right? So you think about these major corporations that historically have been male, white, uh, straight, cisgender dominated, and now you're pushing against that. And at a certain point, you may start, what, am I crazy? Am I, am I wrong? Because everybody else is saying, even some people who look like me and come from same similar areas, they're saying that I'm not right. So again, that's where that self-reflection is because the truth is sometimes we might be wrong. You know, it could be our biases as I was talking about, it could be my bias that's looking for these things. Um, but I would say that to avoid being gaslighted and just kind of pushed around and say, oh, you're just going too far. Just kind of look at what those people are looking for. You know, you think about the golden rule, right? The golden rule is treat others as you would have them do unto you. But a lot of times people will, or what people are moving to is the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Uh, and so uh, be, reflective of that person and understand how they receive communication and how they understand things as true or how they um, are able to be influenced. And so if it's numbers, you may have to share numbers. Um, somebody put in the chat with them, what's in it for me, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that they are people too, they're human. And so they have certain motivators and they have beliefs that have been reinforced over time. And you may be challenging that. So empathize with them. Understand that if somebody's gonna tell me that something that I've loved my entire life, I shouldn't be having, I'm not, you're gonna have to have a strong argument, you know, that connects with me to change my mind. So what is that argument gonna be for to change that person's mind. I also would say that um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And so if you're having a conversations with people, start with understanding them as a person, um, as you to understand how they receive feedback, but two, it becomes an authentic conversation, not something where you've been, you're forcing something else down somebody's throat because then you just have two different opposing forces just going at each other and, and there's not going to be much progress made. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you so much for your question, Tracy, um, and for joining us today. Um, you know, empathize and educate, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the heart of what I, I heard you share. Sometimes mm -hmm. the empathy is what keeps the, um, the, the conversation going because of that influence. But we also have to educate while we have their ear, we have to educate because otherwise mm -hmm. that will continue to perpetuate um, in other relationships and other instances. And so I now want to present a question that was submitted anonymously by someone in our community today. Our board of directors is very white and we know this does not reflect well. This has been a point that many people in the company have brought up. We want to avoid tokenism by not just adding non-white members to our board it would come off as tokenism. We are implementing mentorship. Um, I'm scrolling down more. We're implementing mentorship and trying to get back to it. I lost my place. Okay, we're implementing mentorship and sponsorship programs to increase mobility with our new hired to be able to change the makeup of those eligible for board nomination in the future. Is there something we can do right now to reflect our allyship and that DEI is in our DNA, you know, while they're waiting for the results of some of the efforts that I just shared? Well, that's, a, that's a heavy question. What was yes. that person's name? Oh, anonymous. It was sent oh. anonymous, yes. Thank you, anonymous. That was a heavy question. <laughs> Um, what I'd say is that um, it's similar to recruitment, right? We can't hire people based on their ethnicity or their sexual orientation or their veteran or disability ability, um, diverse ability status. But what we can do is we can, instead of casting out a wider net in the same body of water, right. is we'll get more of the same, right? So instead we start sourcing from different lakes and ponds and we may have to do some spear fit, right? And tar target different communities to be a part of the pool. And then once we've done, we have a larger and a more uh, representative pool, then we can, again, look within that pool for the skill sets that are needed across the board, regardless of any of those other um, qualification or any of those desired uh, characteristics. Yeah. I think that part of that is also um, the board, it's going to take for the board to expand their network as well. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. A lot of positions are, are created by um, referrals, right? And so how do those referrals happen? Well, there's some statistics that I was, I recently got that said 90% of all white Americans have a 100% white network. 80% of all Black Americans have a 100% Black network. Latino Hispanic um, has between 60 and 70, and Asian has between uh, 50 and 60. So mm -hmm. if that's the case, then we're getting what you would expect, because the networks are going to stay the same. Mm -hmm. So what, we, what I would encourage you to encourage your board members that um, is to, in the meantime, start to engage them in different community events and different um, networks so that they can start to build their understanding of different cultures and different people and show so that they can learn the beauty and be exposed to all the ingenuity and the, the value that those different communities um, inherently have, but also that they have in common with what you're looking for. 
Yeah, no, Kwabana, I think that's really sage advice. The the other thing that I would add um, for this particular guest who has presented the question is that the realization that no one starts out at their final destination. So I think that it is incredibly useful to lean into that vulnerability and, and be transparent about here's what we know to be an opportunity and here's what we're doing about it to help change that over time. And then allow the credibility to come from the evidence that the organization is truly exercising those action items to deliver a different outcome in terms of your board representation and makeup. I think people will much um, can much better appreciate that approach than just almost ignoring it and not talking about it because it, it makes people to perceive that maybe you aren't even aware that it is a challenge. And so I also would share um, the suggestion of having those key stakeholders to lean into um, communicating, you know, the current state and what, how you're hoping to change and what you're, you're planning to do to create that change. Awesome. So I just want to open it up. I don't see any other hands raised right now. I do want to give space and time maybe for someone else who is thinking of a question you would like to present. So I have another question, Kwabana, while maybe the audience is still um, noodling on perhaps their, their curiosities. Um, you mentioned as we were preparing for today's podcast that you are working on a white paper um, content area that's, you know, really um, something that you have a lot of energy and passion around and we won't ask you to give it all away but if you can give us just the premise and maybe a sneak peek of perhaps what we can look forward to um, with the release of this white paper yeah so it's really around the five r's um mm. you know i was so when you think about the different nuances or different uh indicators of the and i um I have a have an invisible disability. So on January 25th, I got a new kidney. Um, mm. So I had been on dialysis for two and a half years. Um, on August 5th, I found out that, or on August 5th, I was told you need to go to the emergency room and start dialysis. Um, and then that afternoon after I got put on dialysis, they said, hey, if you hadn't come, you probably had two days left to live. Wow. And so um, then two and a half years later, I, I got the kidney. And as I was sitting there, I was just, for whatever reason, was just energized. And I said, you know what? I need to start putting some of the stuff that I've done and uh, that I've been, you know, kind of preaching for mm -hmm. so long, just put it down on paper. And I started creating my first white paper um, on the, you know, five, strategic areas of DEI strategy. Mm, that was great. So when, when will this white paper release? Do you have a sense um, of that? Hopefully, hopefully by the end of next month. Okay, fantastic. Well, well, we will definitely make sure that we're checking in with you. We'll love to be able to share it out with this community. Um, so I, I, I now want to shift and I want to talk about some of the ways in which you help companies to create environments where all employees can show up at their best and have a strong sense of belonging. What are maybe those top two to three strategies that you often will um, communicate? Yeah, so again, it goes into that that network space, right? Because a lot of this, as you talked about, is, is educational and it's exposure, yeah. it's experience. And a lot of people don't know what they don't know and they don't know that they don't know it. Mm -hmm. And so 
creating a, uh, what I would like to do is create spaces where different people from different backgrounds are even strategically placed together. So for example, if there's a, an event, um, like we had a, I worked with a company and we sponsored a, um, a golf event. Mm-hmm. And we had, you know, the majority of the executives were white. And so we, and the event was for a predominantly black community. And so I had, I reached out to our, um, our business resource group and I targeted five executives and five members of the business resource group that normally wouldn't have access to higher level representatives. And those representatives would never have conversations with people who may, may be you know, in less than a director. Mm-hmm. Now they're able to, in a very relaxed setting, have conversations and organically address things that you know that people go through on a regular. So, nice. uh, just being being strategic and thoughtful around opportunities to create those spaces for conversations to be had. Mm-hmm. Again, it's about organic, authentic conversations, not forced. Yeah. Um, and if those conversations don't happen that moment, that's fine. But the, at least now they, those two people, in most cases, they're going to exchange information or they're going to say that leaders going to say, hey, if you ever need anything, give me a call. So now the door is open so they yeah. can have further conversations moving forward. It doesn't have to stop there. I totally agree. I, I've been talking a lot lately about this push and pull that I'm seeing in a lot of organizations. Sometimes we have to realize we're planting seeds, although we want to be able to see you know, the full fruits of, of the tree, we're planting seeds. And then you have some individuals within the organization feel like we're not going hard enough. We're not hitting this hard. We're not really being as, as aggressive and assertive with trying to operationalize DEIB. And then you have others that are of the persuasion, you know, we need to slow walk this. People are uncomfortable. So we need to make sure we're bringing them along in a way that feels safe for them. And, you know, part of the, the superpowers of DEI practitioners is again, holding the middle, trying to address both. Let's not keep mm-hmm. those who are really ready for deepened learning and deepened conversations from being able to take that step. But let's also make sure we aren't leaving the others behind and doing it in a way where, they see that part of the discomfort is the growth and part of the journey. Mm-hmm. So we have to lean into that. So uh, are you seeing that in some of the, maybe the relationships and organizations that you've been in communication with? Is that pull and pull? Push yeah, and pull absolutely. Challenge? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I liken it to like working out, you know? So if anybody has ever worked out for a, a had a really good workout that next day, you know, they're probably sore, the muscles, they couldn't lift their arms or tender yes. to walk, right? And so what's actually happening is those muscles are being torn mm-hmm. and those muscles are being torn and then they heal back together, bigger and stronger. And so that's what this is. It's about tearing, you know, your current norms a little bit and you don't want to go too far because then you tear a muscle and now you're back at square one. Yes. Right? So yes. it's- you know, it's that balance of how do I move into my challenge zone and not into my chaos zone, but stay in that challenge zone so that I, I don't tear the muscle, but I'm I'm building muscle every day. 
No, I love that analogy, especially for one who is um, always communicating to her personal trainer. Yes, no, I want to feel it, but way I'm feeling it too much right now. <laughs> you know, what is that balance? So I can come yeah. back the next day, right? That's really exactly. Well, well probably- I think what is also good though is uh, you think about that. You know, you you know that feeling is because you had a good workout. So that motivates you to go back the next day. Like, oh, exactly. I had a good workout yesterday. I'm yes, go- but if you take me too far, I'm like, okay, I'm not returning, right? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's a delicate balance. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that analogy was so great. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so we're getting close to the top of the hour. One of the things that I often like to do, Kwabada, and you know this because again, you are <laughs> um, a friend of this podcast community is while we've touched on a lot, there could be some other things that maybe that you're holding, that you're having a lot of energy and passion for, I just want to give you a chance to close us out by sharing anything that maybe we have not talked about today that you think is important and relevant for this audience to know. And then also let us know what's on the horizon for you. What can we expect next from Kwabana? Yeah, great. Thank you so much. So my my advice, my closing statement to this group is just just engage, just get in there and and do it. Don't be afraid And, and and be empathetic with for people because we don't know what's going on in their lives um always try to check yourself and say hmm are they doing this because they're trying to be malicious or is there uh, a blind point is there a blind spot here for them or do they have something else going on in their personal life that's not allowing them to hear me at this time um but Get in, get into the work, be empathetic, be vulnerable. Uh, oftentimes you're gonna have to lead with that vulnerability because you know, until they see that it's safe, that's how you create those safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Talk about psychological safety. We didn't really get into that today. Um, but that is one of the keys to successful DEI is creating psychologically safe spaces where people can be their true authentic self, share feedback um, openly and honestly and not have to filter themselves um, because then that that feedback is not really as valuable as it could be. Absolutely. And what's next for you? Um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a humble servant. So <laughs> I'm just well, trying to continue to, you know, share anything that I can. And, you know, you know, uh, big for, what's big for me and, and always has been is, connecting people in this space. So if there's anybody that, you know, is looking to do something, if I can help, um, that's, that's really all I want to do is help people reach their goals and understanding that, and that's what led me to this DEI space is I know there's a lot of people who aren't getting an equitable chance to reach their full potential. And that's what I'm trying to do in the space. So um, if I have a network or a connection that I could share for you, That is great. Well, we are so delighted that we were able to visit with you today during our Intentional Conversations podcast. And again, we're appreciative of you being um, a part of this community week in, week out. Um, I hope that this has been fruitful for each of you who have joined us today, wishing you all a beautiful and safe weekend. And hopefully we'll see you back next week for Intentional Conversations podcast. Thank you all so very much. 